Welcome to Everything Life Coaching with John Kim and Noel Cardo, founders of Journey Coaching. If you're inspired to begin your own life coaching practice or just want to learn a little bit more about what it's all about, visit journey.co. That's J-R-N-I dot C-O. Hey guys, on today's episode, we're going to talk about something really important, especially uh, for these times, and that is mindful listening as a practice. Noel, good morning. Good morning. I miss you saying um, not Chucky on the podcast title. Now I'm just JK. I I can start doing that again. uh, It secretly made me feel special for a little bit. Oh, well, well, now that you verbalized it, I can make sure to make you feel special all the time. Yeah. So that's aligned with a little sarcasm. I told Noelle to not call me Chucky because that was my Korean name slash uh, teachers couldn't pronounce my Korean name. So they called me Chucky. And I said it was a trigger and I was kind of half joking. So then she types in not Chucky on the podcast uh, title as me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when I'm inviting John to the podcast, I'm saying this is not Chucky. (laughs) Right, right. Now it's back to JK. Just uh, Yeah. Yeah, and there's only 5,823 JKs in Los Angeles, but that's okay. Well, you know, we can come up with some other names for you, bud. (laughs) I have Okay. Yeah, I have a lot of names. Um, (laughs) Mindful listening, especially today, I think this is a, man, this is such an important topic. It is. And, you know, as we kind of hit on when we were exploring this topic and um, and just so everybody knows, John wouldn't let me keep talking until we hit record because it was getting too good. So you can thank John for this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. I I think it's I think it's one of the um, what I've learned. um, The best tricks is don't record. And I mean, record early and then start talking because sometimes um, you and I will have conversations before we hit record. And sometimes I feel like, oh, that we should record that or that was, you know, really powerful or, you know, all of that stuff. So deep and powerful all day. Yeah, absolutely. So so what we were talking about was how the world has changed and how that has forced a change, whether we wanted it or not, with the way that we relate to people that we are in relationship with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we're still not going to, I think there's more to come, meaning even if um, the, 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 you know, the doors open and we're, we're allowed to go outside, there's still going to be a lot of residue. There's still going to be weirdness. There's still going to be disconnect, isolation, and, and us um, having to deal with um, what's coming up as well as our, our relationships. Yeah, I completely agree. What does it mean to you to be in relationship with somebody else? Oh man, today, right now, it, it's yes. so multi—it's so multi-layered. You know, there, a, a part of this, um, especially now that I'm a dad, and so I technically have a family. It's making—it's made me feel um, protective. It's made me feel kind of like this basic instinct of, you know. Um, hibernation, protection, you know, uh, all that whole family stuff and closer, uh, to, uh, my girlfriend and and daughter. But at the same time, it's also made me, um, miss my friends and kind of feel, uh, uh, weird when you're walking outside and people aren't looking you in the eye or, you know, walking around you. And so it's made me feel kind of disconnected to, um, humans in a way. 
Yeah. And I was just thinking about this earlier today based on what I know of how human brains work. And we are very similar to cows. When humans are separated from others in our own society, we begin to naturally act like a diseased cow that is left behind for the good of the herd. And it's ironic because we're all being isolated right now for the good of the herd. But what's happening inside of our brains is that we naturally begin to scan social interaction and view it as threat. So, you know, Mm. this happened, especially where you are, John, in Los Angeles already, where people would dive off the sidewalk if you smiled at them. And now it's just like amplified with threat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And if you are not wearing a mask or sneezing, then it's it's a whole <laughs> it's all get ready to run you know yeah it's going to change the way that we perceive and the way that we relate to each other the last time that this really i mean there have been you know major activating events throughout history but i was kind of just tracing this anthropologically for fun and it happened after the industrial revolution when there was mm. a mass migration of people uh, to cities from farms and nobody knew each other. They didn't, you know, they used to live in small communities and now they had to kind of figure out how to evaluate each other. And then it happened again after World War II where there was a mass exodus of people from cities into communities. And I think that we're going to start seeing that again where things are going to change and people are going to be going different places. And what I was thinking of too is, you know, tribal systems and even the early days of um, America when it was being settled on the frontier, that how families would leave with just each other in a covered wagon. And those relationships, the relationships that you call family are the ones that sustain you. Yeah, there's almost this kind of um, us being shaken and going back to the basics. Yeah. Yeah, going back to the basics in real ways because there's no escape. You know, you can't go out to a pub. You can't go out to a sporting event or a concert. You have to face yourself and we have to face each other. Yeah, and speaking of mindfulness, I mean, that's kind of what mindfulness is. I mean, to me, it's going back to what's real, going back to the basics, going back to um, simplifying. Simplifying, being present, and, you know, so much of the simplicity with mindfulness and and mindful listening and active listening as a practice has to do with building the muscle in your brain that it takes to really engage with the message of whoever is speaking to you. Yeah. And I think that's what um, makes it difficult is this idea of building a muscle. I think a lot of people, um, especially when it comes to listening, they, they they don't see it as a practice. It's like, you know, you're either listening or you're not, but this idea of building a muscle, um, listening as a practice, that that is kind of foreign to most people, which is it why is. we don't listen. And I, <laughs> right. And, and, you know, the question that I always start with is how did we get here? And I think that if we're looking at technology um, and how it really progressed over the last 20 years, it's different. Like when, when there were, when we had pagers, you were still picking up the phone and having a conversation with somebody. You couldn't read the messages that were coming through. Right. And so I think that listening really got lost. And if you look at, or 
pre-COVID, you know, being in a restaurant, you'd see two people sitting across from each other, each looking at their phones. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, why don't they just text each other? Be done with it, you know? <laughs> right, right. Why are they even sitting at the same table? Yeah. And so I, technology has not only changed the way that we perceive listening, but it has changed um, the way that we receive messages and sound bites. Mm. So what exactly is mindful listening for people who are like, you know, first, let's talk about the definition of it. Yeah. So it's it's bringing full moment to moment awareness to actively engage with the person who's talking to you. And let's validate. This is a hard thing to do. As we've mm -hmm. described, we've all gotten out of practice with it. It has become not part of our social custom to listen deeply to someone. Mm -hmm. And it is, I believe, vital for our families and our friendships and our work relationships and our personal relationships to start doing this right now. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that, um, as I was going through my therapist journey, because before then, um, I was not a good listener is that, uh, listening isn't about words. You know, a lot of people think that well, I do listen. I listen to everything you're saying, but are you also listening to body language? Are you listening to someone's energy? Are you listening to, um, you know, the, the, what they're saying with their eyes and their emotions and all of that. So I think mindful listening is not just about words. You're right. And this goes into coaching and, and mindfulness is a huge aspect of coaching. And the piece that coaches pull forward in their practice is is, is the aspect of active listening where they're not they, they are listening, as you described, to the subtext, to the mm -hmm. emotion, to the right. nuance, to the words. Um, and they are also opening with a non-judgmental stance yeah. and awareness of the other person's story. Yeah, most of us listen with judgment. We listen with um, an intention to try to sway conversations. I know, um, you know, not even that long ago, when I was listening, I would already be coming, thinking about a comeback. So, which mm -hmm. is which means I'm not listening, right? Which means that I'm um, trying to argue before the person's even done talking. So that definitely is not mindfulness or active listening. And it's super common. It's super common. And I am guilty of when I'm coaching someone or when I'm engaged in our work through journey coaching, I am very mindful of listening. I'm very mindful of my non-judgmental stance. And I strive really hard to hold that space of non-judgment. When I'm in my personal life, that goes out the window. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's like a fitness trainer who uh, basically do as I do, not as I, not as I, or do as I say, not as I do. That's my life. Oh my goodness! My yeah. my mother, my father, my sister, and my husband will be like, "Yeah, she's judgy, big time." And so, yeah. you know, I think that if we start thinking about how to bring this into our personal lives, it could be really radical and transformative for the quality of the relationship. Like, what does yeah. it mean to open and accept a, a partner or a friend or a family member without judgment? How do you not judge? Is it start with being aware of when that judgment is coming in? I think then, so. Yeah. I think so. And I, you know, that's a really good question that we can both kind of explore. Um, what do you physically experience when you are judging? Uh, tension. Um, I 
you know, when when I have uh, feelings of judgment, there's a constriction, there is uh, a little bit of anxiety, you know, all of that. I experienced the same thing. And I think that what you said about tension and anxiety is spot on. And if I'm really zeroing in on why that exists and why that is present, it's because you care so much. Yeah. Yeah. That you want to control, you know, that that you want to control some aspect of somebody else's story. And that's just not possible. Yeah. And I love that you brought it back to the body. I think that we're so heady and and we're such logical creatures that um, using our body as a radar, you know, to notice um, how we feel when we are judgmental, I think is, is really great. Yes. And so the alternative to uh, a judgmental stance, which is trying to control, which is nervous, which is anxious, which is yearning and hoping and wishing, is to let it all go and have this platform, this foundation of inner calm Mm -hmm. and a present state of awareness. You know, when you don't judge, there's so much freedom and it's like when it's like when you judge, uh, you you know that saying uh, that um, that I don't know if it was jealousy or I don't know what it was, but you are you're drinking poison, expecting the other person to die, or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, and I think, you know, which is which is kind of extreme and graphic, but I think judgment, it's the same thing. Where when you and I know it could be coming from care, um, but when you are judging someone, um, you're the one that's carrying that. You're the worry, you're the one that's carrying that weight, that uh, sense of control, that anxiety, all of that. And it's really terrifying to think of the opposite, you know, to think about what it would be like to not try to control, to not try to influence or um, wield in our interpersonal relationships. At least for me, it feels really scary because it's layered. There are so many layers of what it means to be in relationship, what it means to listen to someone, what it means to care for them, and what it means to let them go and be their own person. When you don't control, you have nothing to hold on to. And that's, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It's terrifying. Um, but I think it's also the greatest gift, you know, when you can, especially uh, the people that are the closest to you, because, you know, those are the people you care about the most. If you are supportive of whatever decisions they make and non-judgmental and um, just going to champion their story no matter what. Um, I, that's such a gift, you know? It's such a gift and it's such a huge ask. Yes. It is a, a, yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, cause we're not, a, we're not used to it. No, we're, we're not used to it. And you know, it's, it's almost ironic because of those relationships that are so very interconnected, the best possible thing that we can do for each other is give each other freedom. And the last thing we want to do is give each other that freedom. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? We also want that freedom, but we, we, but we don't give it, you know? Hands down, selfish, selfish, twisted little nuggets we are. (laughs) So, all right, this is reminding me of your container theory, and I Mm. think it's really applicable here. Can you talk a little bit about what the container theory is and how you coach on it and how you use it? Yeah, just simply put, it's uh, we all have a life space called a container. Uh, A lot of us have cracks in our container. Um, you know, an obvious crack would be if you're in an abusive relationship. Uh, but we have hairline cracks, 
And uh, my, my whole theory is uh, that we could build ourselves a brand new container and we can fix these cracks. And by doing so, uh, then our growth isn't stunted, but it, it's organic if you choose to turn this uh, into a lifestyle. So like a, a way of living. So I teach that in um, our classic journey coaching. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's an awesome class. And so if I'm following this through and saying, okay, you know, it's not enough for me to tend to my own container and my own cracks, that mm. part of my job as being a responsible human, a responsible family member, a responsible global citizen is to also get into the practice of listening without attachment to my own map of the world. Yes. And by doing so, you're actually helping someone else build their container, their safe space. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the outcomes will be if we are able to do this successfully? Oh, man. I mean, in relationships, all the shields go down, right? In relationships, people aren't uh, holding on to tug of war robes. And so when you do this, uh, now there's space for vulnerability. Now there's space to see someone. Now there's space for compassion and, and all of that stuff. And I think when people are coming in with judgment and not listening or just listening to words, uh, there's, it's, all def, uh, it's all defense, you know? And mm -hmm. so this is what I think it takes to kind of uh, break people open and to connect to them, you know, or connect to them again. Yeah. And just, you know, even being self-reflective as I'm listening to you, it is probably with folks that I've been in relationship been the fact that I haven't been doing this, that's been putting those walls up. Mm. Yeah. And it's also something I think, um, especially younger with young love, it's not something that it, we even look for, you know, it's not on the top of our list. And I think it should be a non-negotiable. This is like soil. Yeah, it really is. We were, you know, I've been joking around and playing with the term, the uh, why do you do it that way game, mm. <laughs> Since as we are all in COVID confinement. And the why do you do it that way game, no one wins ever Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with that game. And I did that to my husband the other day. Why do you do it that way? And he said, you are always just looking for a reason to cut me down. And that mm. shocked me. It mm. shocked me because I have never had that intention. And I right. said, do you really think that right. I sit there and just like wait for something? And I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> let me, you know, let me right. count on it. And, um, and he acknowledged, you know, probably no, but it really made me consider how, I project and how I yeah. uh, how I hold my own container in that way. I think that is amazing what you just said, the whole why do you do it that way game because who can't relate to that? I mean, especially in relationships where like why why do you open the chips that way? Why do you eat that way? Why do you leave your shoes? I mean, a thousand of those a day. Um but what a what a great way into, you know, the everyday of life and how how we can be uh, not listening mindfully when we're when we're going, you know, at people that way. Yeah, very much. Which, which we're all guilty of, by the way. So how do we want to set this up as an experiment, as a practice? So John, how, if you were to say, okay, I'm going to make this my priority for the next, for 
for the next, you know, 24 hours to respond to my partner from a stance of active listening. How will you know if you're doing it and what actions will you take to do it? Um, I will know by uh, dropping into my body and feeling when I'm listening to someone, if there's tension, if there's resistance, if there's, you know, um, uh, blueprints that don't match and and, and I'm, you know, uh, clenching my fist. And so if I know that, I know that I'm I'm cracking someone else's container. I'm taking someone else's space hostage. Um, and, and, and I know it sounds extreme, but I have to think of it extreme to be aware of it, right? So um, using my body as kind of uh, a radar to gauge when I'm judgmental and when I'm um, kind of crossing the line. And, and even crossing the line doesn't have to mean, you know, um, doing something to someone. I think you cross the line when you don't provide a space that is that is neutral and, and loving, but instead uh, filled with judgment. Yeah, and it's so hard. Yeah, it's, it's so, so hard. hard. I think that my biggest challenge is going to be actively keeping my mouth shut. And not (laughs) speaking and not responding. And like, it might kill me, but I'm going to try. That's, that's the, probably the hardest thing for me too, is uh, just simply put, stop talking, just stop Mm -hmm. talking, you know? Um, But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's everything. That's such a gift too. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, just kind of knowing what that's going to be like, it's going to be really hard. I'm going to be in my head. I'm mm-hmm. going to be, as you described, clenching my fists. I'm sure. going to have things that I am dying to say that yeah. I am not going to, and I'm just going to sit there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, where, where did she go? She, I'm here. Um, I'm here. I'm listening. But also, you know, uh, and maybe we could end with this is, uh, the other piece of this is to be compassionate to yourself as well and to know that mindful listening is a practice, which means that uh, if you don't get it right away, to not bash yourself because, you know, it, it takes time and effort and it's hard to do. You're, you're right. And um, it is a practice. It is like building any other muscle. So we can't expect to be, you know, benching above our weight, we need to start with where we're at. So I will report back next time how successful I've been keeping my mouth shut. I don't, I don't, you have so many good things to say. Um, I'm, if you do keep your mouth shut, let's not keep it shut for too long because I think um, most people who engage with you, they want to hear from you and the stuff that you have to say is not, um, it's not, you know, it's not negative. They're always inspiring and supportive. So. Unless you're married to me, John, let's be real. Like- okay. Yeah, I don't know that Noel. I don't know the Noel that says, uh, "Why do you do it that way?" Because you've never said that to me. Um, no. But the Noel I do know, she doesn't need to keep her mouth shut. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was fun. Yeah. All right, guys. Be well. Ready to cut through the BS of becoming a coach? Snag John and Noel's six-step guide to becoming a life coach at journey.co slash everything. That's J-R-N-I dot C-O slash everything. If what you've heard here today speaks to you and you want to learn a little bit more about becoming a coach, visit journey.co, J-R-N-I dot C-O. We've graduated nearly a thousand coaches and offer vibrant community, strong lifetime support, and world-class coaching education. We're fully ICF accredited, 
and look forward to watching how you use coaching to make a bigger impact in the world around you.